Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'd like to have you turn to 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. Just one, one verse this morning. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56 says this. It says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. You can be seated this morning. I'd like to speak to you this morning about the path to promise. The path to promise. If I was to subtitle this message, I would probably subtitle it something like preferences versus sacrifice. Preferences versus sacrifice. This passage of scripture is taking out of 1 Kings. It's a period of time when King David's son Solomon was given the task and given the privilege and the honor of building the first temple in Jerusalem. Prior to these many, many years before this, uh, the temple, if you will, was a series of tents made out of animal skins and other fabrics and forth, so forth, and represented God's church, represented God's presence. It held the Holy of Holies. It held the Ark of the Covenant, etc. And so David, the king that was Solomon's father, was not permitted by God to build this temple. He was a man of war. He had taken life, and God said, this is not for you to do, and passed that wonderful, wonderful opportunity onto his son Solomon. There were promises that had been made. There were promises that had God, uh, God had made related to David and his seed, including Solomon, who got the privilege and the pleasure of building that temple. And it took about seven years, and uh, uh, Solomon uh, completed the temple, blessed it, and he's in a dedication period here in 1 Kings chapter 8, and there's a couple more, several chapters actually related to the construction and the final dedication. But he speaks, according to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. God is a God of promises. You can find in dozens of places throughout scripture where God speaks of his promises, his promises, and God never breaks them. And what Solomon was saying is that of all his good promise, he's never broken one and he never will. Amen? We live in a world right now that has given us so incredibly large amount of options. You walk out of this place today hungry for lunch. If you do, you haven't eaten lasagna and shame on you. Let's say next Sunday. You have literally dozens and dozens and dozens of options of the type of food that you want to go and eat with your family or your friends or whoever. Or you can go to the grocery store. There's probably 15 grocery stores within a 20-mile radius. There's options and options and options and options available to you. And so through options, we develop preferences. Okay? We become very preferential towards things. Someone says, hey, let's all go to Marty's Pizza. What does Brother Cordell say? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> That is not my preference. I know, everybody here loves Marty's pizza. I just don't get it. I'm the only one. Burnt crust, sugary sauce, thimble full of sauce per piece of pizza. 
Anyway, we develop preferences. And so society has created us in a way that basically has made us be preferential people. We've decided that we just like this. I like chilies, but I don't like this one. I like McDonald's, but I don't like Burger King. I like, the, I like this grocery store, not that grocery store. I prefer Woodman's. And on and on. If you think about it, you have a preference for everything. Society has made us that way because they've given us 682 trillion choices for everything that we absorb and consume and buy and eat and, and so on, right? I prefer Kohl's and not Target. I prefer et cetera, et cetera. But there's a danger. There's a danger in a culture that has been indulged so much into its own personal preferences that we become to take that as a right. Come on, are you preaching with me? Well, I have a right not to like Marty's pizza. And I ain't going there. I'll sit in the parking lot with my Chick-fil-A while you all sit in Marty's and eat that burnt up crust and sugary sauce. <laughs> if there's anybody here with me, please meet me after church. I want one for, hey, I got somebody back there. Wonderful. All right. <laughs> Brother Lloyd doesn't like it either. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you either, Dino. Yeah, well, you're Italian, so I, I get that. <laughs> so, but, but it's, we've, we've got so many choices and we've been indulged for so long. Think about third world countries. Think about second world countries. Places that people live in the world that are remote and they don't have any choices for anything. There's no preferential anything. It's a, you eat this and that's it. It's, you know, it's lutefisk and potatoes and that's it, Right? <laughs> he prefers another pastor. <laughs> but we get preferential. And it gets ingrained in us and we begin to feel like it's our right to be preferential. But see God's got some he's got some promises and he had promises related to his walk and his people and who he was going to bless. David definitely preferred to be the one who was going to build the temple after everything that he had been through with God. After every Philistine he'd killed and, and Goliath and all the battles he faced and his own particular failings and everything that God had him do. He still felt that he should have been preferred by God to build the temple and he was not. That honor went to his son Solomon. You see, there's a path to promise but sometimes it's gonna take some sacrifice of our personal preference. It's gonna take some sacrifice of what God prefers. Amen? The first step in this process, I believe, and I think it's pretty simple and it's, it's pretty laid out for you, we need to be true followers. Look at Luke chapter nine, verse 23. I've got the ESV version on these two verses just for a little bit of ease of understanding. Luke nine and 23, and the ESV says it this way. He said, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now I want you to understand that when the Bible says that you should deny yourself, come after me and deny yourself, it doesn't mean deprive yourself. That's two different concepts. The word deny in that situation means to be others-centered. Okay, that kind of tweaks our preferences sometimes, right? So guess what? 
If a group of you came and said, Pastor, we want to take you out for your birthday and we're taking you to Marty's. What a sweet, wonderful thing that people would come to me and say, hey, we want to take you out for your birthday. My birthday's not near, so don't worry about it. And I would go. It's to be others-centered, not depriving yourself. It doesn't mean to take up your cross and deny all these things that life has to enjoy. That's not what it's saying. Sometimes we get a, we get a bit of flack in church. In the apostolic movement, we get a bit of flack that our, our whole deal is about denying people things. Well, you, go, you guys are against all this stuff and you, you, know, you, don't, you don't like drinking and you don't like this and that. It's not about depriving, it's about what God prefers. And it says, take up his cross daily and follow me. And I've told you this before, that when the, when the disciples heard Jesus say that, they understood. You see, people weren't just, you gotta understand this. When, when people were, were, were in trouble or they were, they, were, they were criminally charged, they didn't just drag them up to the, to, the, to the place of the cross and throw them up there. They didn't even just take them up there from the court and lay the cross down, nail them down, put it up. No, 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 no. You didn't go to the place where the cross was and get crucified. They had it there waiting for you. So when you were tried and convicted and it was your time to be crucified, to take up your cross, you bore that cross and you carried it to wherever you were gonna go. And you guys know that that is exactly what Jesus endured. You see, they nailed him to the cross long before he got to Golgotha. He had to carry that. And so the disciples understood that that form of punishment meant the end of the road is not good. There's going to be a sacrifice and it's going to be me. So they knew exactly what he was saying when he said, pick up your cross and follow me. You got to take on this burden and it's a burden and a pathway that leads to death. In Matthew 10 and 38 then, if you, if you look over there, I've got this in the ESV also, in 10 and 38 it says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In other words, your preference in this matter <laughs> does not matter if you do not take up your cross and follow me. But there's still a promise there's still a promise. Well, that doesn't sound very good, pastor. So in other words, we take up our cross, we're taking up a death sentence. Yes, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Now, I spoke a moment ago about sacrifice. When Abraham was engaging with God, Abraham was a man of sacrifice. He understood sacrifice. There's even a place where Abraham actually took these animals and he wanted God to visit with him and he took these animals and he'd split them in half and actually made a pathway out of, out of animals. He cut them, he literally split them right in half and laid them out, flayed them out and made a pathway for God in his sacrifices. And there's wonderful imagery on there and one of these days I'm gonna preach on that because there's a lot more to it than what I'm telling you. It's fantastic. But his sacrifice was basically laying, rolling out the red carpet for God. I wanna commune with you, Lord. And I'm going to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. Well, sacrifice is literally the antithesis of preferences, isn't it? Sacrifice is painful. Sacrifice is not fun. Sacrifice takes us out of our comfort zone. Sacrifice makes us eat Marty's pizza. It's a sacrifice. I really don't like it. In Psalm chapter 51 and 17... Back in the KJV now, it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now people look at that and they say, and I've taught this in Bible study, people look at that and say, wow, that sounds really depressing. God wants us to be broken. He wants us to have a broken heart. Well, let me tell you what. If there's two things about you, man and woman of God, that are tough and ornery and full of preferences, it's your spirit and it's your heart. Come on. Is that truth? Our spirits sometimes are wild. Our spirits are sometimes rebellious, sometimes full of attitude, full of preferences. I got a spirit in me about Marty's Pizza. I got to get off of that here shortly, but I just, I'm trying to get this home, okay? I'll leave. Somebody's going to go. I know the owner, by the way. He's a really nice guy. He used to come out here to our rummage sales. He's really terrific. I just want to help him with the recipe. So, God's looking for a broken spirit and a broken heart and a contrite heart. Why? Because the Bible says that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts are not a great thing. You ever hear those phrases, I just follow my heart. Well, you're following the wrong lead. And God wants a broken spirit. He wants broken preferences. He wants some of that spirit in you, that human spirit in you to be broken once in a while. Not constantly and continuously, but if you think of it this way, if your spirit, your human spirit is broken, in other words, it's humbled, it's brought down before God, it's submitted to God is really what that means. That broken doesn't mean shattered or wounded. It means simply humbled before God, brought to God, subjected to God. If if you've that human spirit is brought to him then his spirit can take over how many know that the human heart and the human spirit constantly lead people into problematic situations that hurt them amen anybody come on it's the human spirit and the human heart that says let's go party down and get hammered and wake up the next morning and feel like death walking over and then they say oh I'm never doing that again until next Friday or Saturday right? It's the human spirit that gets us into trouble. It's the human spirit that drives conflict, that drives the things that we see happening in the world today. God wants to break those things in us, but it's, gotta t- it's gonna take sacrifice. It's gonna take submission. It's gonna take a little bit of humility. In Romans chapter 12 and 1, we heard part of that this morning. By the way, excellent job, Sister Angela, this morning in our devotion part of our 101010 service. Again, if you're new in the house this morning, please understand that the first, third, and fifth Sundays of any given month, we have a period of time here we call 101010. It's simply 10 minutes of personal prayer followed by 10 minutes of wonderful devotion and 10 minutes of powerful corporate prayer to bring the church together. It's not too much to take 10 minutes to sacrifice for God, is it? Well, I prefer to stay in bed. Gets quiet when I say stuff like that. Second and fourth Sunday is our adult Sunday school teachers, wonderful men and women of God who have, they they, they take their time and they seek the word and they bring something enriching for the body. Well, I don't prefer to be here at that time, Pastor. Pastor. Come on, take sacrifice, take sacrifice. You want the things of the Lord, you want the blessings of the Lord, you want what God has for you, you wanna be pleasing to God, you gotta sacrifice some things. It says in Romans chapter 12 and one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable to ask this of God. 
But by his mercy, by his grace, we have these opportunities. It's not preferential. It's not what we want out of the situation. It's sacrificial. It is a living sacrifice. What does living sacrifice mean? It literally means continually, day by day. We walk in a sacrificial position. I want to go that way, but God wants me to go that way. I want to sleep later, but God wants me to get up earlier. I want to eat this, but God doesn't want me to eat that, or whatever the case may be. It's constantly checking against the Lord. Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. I want to live for you because there's a promise that I'm waiting for and I want a piece of that promise. I want that redemption. I want the promise that's coming. But see, you've got to live, sacrifice continually every day, making the choices. Do we make them right every single day? Of course not. Do we stumble sometimes? Do we take the left path when God said right? We sure do. But guess what happens when you take the left path? Well, now you've got to kind of wind your way back over back to the right path. And sometimes that's painful and sometimes it takes longer and it slows us down and it slows down our growth as Christian. Anybody, any Christians in this room still growing? I am. I'll grow to the day I die or God comes back first. And I got a long way to go. Long way to go, folks. Present your bodies a living, continual sacrifice every day, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. What's acceptable to God? Well, you've got... Some of you have got a little black book or a little brown book or a little purple one, according to Sister Angela this morning, that gives you that direction. You've got a pastor in your life. You've got spiritual leadership in your life. You've got a mom and a dad, perhaps, to help you begin to understand what is acceptable unto God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13 and 15. Verse 15 and 16 reads like this. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate. That word communicate means to share. Forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The sacrifice of praise why is it a sacrifice? We were all in here this morning. We were singing. We were praising, right? Or were all of us? I don't know. I don't count. I was facing this way. But I know that I've been in some congregations and I've been in some circumstances where the people that love God and are really getting a hold of this and truly understand what a great and wonderful privilege it is to stand in the house of God and praise and worship and they know that they're there and they're praising and they're worshiping and man, this is awesome. Once a week or twice a week, I can get together and the police don't come and the cops don't come and the KGB doesn't take me out and I can stand before God and I can worship and he can bless me and he'll forgive me for things I messed up during the week but then you've got that group of people for some reason, that group of people that's just standing there like this. So I'm taking it that the sacrifice of praise is for that person. Because in the old Bible days, the sacrifice of praise was killing an animal. All of it, taking out its organs and doing all that stuff, shedding its blood. And so maybe the sacrifice of praise is killing this animal. In other words, this pride. Come on now. That's why it's a sacrifice. It's hard for some people. I've just learned over the years that 
I get my batteries charged up. I get things cleared out of my head. I get healings. I get God talking to me. I get wonderful things happening by coming into an environment like this and throwing my hands up in the air and just worshiping God and praising him. And if God moves on me, I'm going to let him speak. I'm going to pray in the spirit. I'm not ashamed of him. I don't have any problem lifting up my hands. I don't have any problem saying the name Jesus. I don't care what anybody thinks. I love Jesus. I love Jesus Christ. I'm going to worship his name. He's not going to have to force me to bow some day I'm going to bow on my own amen first Peter 2 and 5 it says that ye also as lively stones lively stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood that's you your lively stones. In other words, he's saying that each one of you is part of a body, is part of the foundation of God's church. This is the spiritual church I'm talking about now, not a building. The spiritual building of God's church, you're a lively stone, or at least you're supposed to be a lively stone. We definitely don't ever want to be caught being stony stones in God's world, do we? Because you know what? He was hung on a cross one day and suffered the most horrific, horrible, torturous death that any man has known on planet Earth. And I think that we can become lively stones for just a little while to say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? He wants us to be lively stones, but he says you're a a royal priesthood. It's not just the pastor that's doing the job. It's not just up to the pastor to be brave and bold and say, I love Jesus and praise you, Lord. You're all priests in this kingdom. And it says to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. It felt pretty spiritual in here to me this morning. It was powerful. The Spirit of God was moving amazingly. Thank you to our wonderful, wonderful worship team that's willing to come and just pour their hearts and their worship and their souls into a sacrificial praise that ushers in the Spirit of God. You know that's a wonderful privilege for a pastor to have that, by the way? It's a gift, and here's why. See, the pastor's bringing the seed of the word. I'm just the farmer casting the seed out there. But if the seed is landing on stony ground or rocky ground or some of that soil, you ever been to one of those fields where it had been raining and then the sun came out and it just get that craggy, those cracks and all that stuff, it looks like the moonscape? Sometimes we, including your pastor, comes into this environment having had a rough week, having had some rough times, and our hearts look like those little craggy chunks of desert moonscape covered with the crud of this world, pains and hurts and things that happened to you, functions at work that, that got you angry, upset, different issues you had, falls that you had, maybe some sins that you got involved in, you trip one more time, you come in and you've got that crud just laying all over the top of your heart. Well, guess what? Poor old pastor up here is trying to throw seed on that junk and it doesn't go anywhere. But you come in here and you make a sacrifice of praise with a group of people worshiping God and ushering in the spirit of God. And I want to tell you that soil's been cracked in half and it's being split wide open and turned inside out and it's soft and it's tender and it's prepared to receive the seed of the word. That's the sacrifice of praise. I want to take you from sacrifice to promise. Hebrews chapter 10 and 36 says, for ye have need of patience. I'm emphasizing that on purpose. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. I read a scripture out of the book of Isaiah in our event yesterday 
that talked about the seven churches, the seven women, it's described in the book of Isaiah, who want all the trappings of what Jesus has to offer. They want to attach themselves to one man and one name. And they want his redemption. It's talking about the seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. They want all of the trappings of what it is to belong to Jesus, but they don't want to sacrifice. It says that they want to eat their own bread. That means they want parts of the word that apply to them and nobody and nothing else. I'll take this part and I like that scripture and this one, well, that one, I don't like that. It makes me feel weird. And I'll take that. That's what that means. But it says, after you've done the will of God, then you might receive the promise. There's a process to this. People say, oh, no, no, no. Salvation's free. You can't do works. Works are not part of salvation. <laughs> Read the book of Titus. You don't save yourself through works, but you keep yourself saved through them. And I'll stand and I'll face anybody from any, any faith in the world and I'll prove it through scripture. That no, 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 it's not you that saves yourself. Those are the works of righteousness that God has under obedience. But keeping yourself saved, now that's a whole other thing. And a part of it is sacrifice. Part of it is being willing to sacrifice your preferences the way you want to do it. Like those women it mentions in Isaiah about uh, wanting pieces of the bread and still wanting Jesus' name. In Luke chapter 24 and 49... We start to understand this promise idea, promise, 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 the promises of God over and over throughout the word. We start to see as Jesus is ministering and his time on earth, he says, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He's talking about himself. He knows that he's going to his death. His ministry is just about over at this point. It's soon he'll be crucified. Now, they don't still quite understand it yet. They haven't seen this. Nobody has ever seen an outpouring of the Holy Ghost on planet Earth before. There's been individuals, by the way, that in an individual interaction with God have been filled with His Spirit. But there's never been this powerful, explosive outpouring of the Holy Ghost like is about to come. And so the, the disciples have no idea. And He tells them, I'm going to send my promise. Now, remember, a promise is always something that's on its way. It's difficult to wait for a promise. Promises seldom ha happen right this moment. Hey, Brother Matucci, I promise I'm going to give you that 20 bucks I owe you. Here it is. Well, why would I need to promise? I got it in my pocket and I'm going to throw it at you anyway. I promise I'm going to give it to you in two weeks. I don't owe him $20. Do I? It's something that we've got to wait for. That's why in Hebrews 10 and 36, Paul said There's a, you have need of a patience. The promise is coming, folks. The promise is coming. I know it's hard. Some days we get wore out. We get tired of this thing. We get tired of the battle. Why don't I just go ahead and give in to what the devil wants me to do? Because it's just never going to happen. But folks, you've got to have patience because the promise is coming and sacrificing, living a daily sacrifice, not going the way the enemy wants you to go as part of that process. Jesus said, I send the promise of my father, tarry and wait. In Acts chapter 1 and 4, as he, re he reveals himself once again after the crucifixion to the disciples, he says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Again, he tells them, for the promise of the Father, now look what he says, which saith he, you have heard of me. Tells them again, wait. So the disciples clearly must be extremely impatient. What is it, God? Tell us about the kingdom. We want to understand what's going on. We are impatient people, by the way. 
My goodness, that's the other thing that preferential culture has built into us. We can't wait for nothing. We're so used to having our hamburger in 10 seconds. You will go into a restaurant and sit there in a nice, my wife and I will be out on a date night in a nice restaurant sitting there. And it's amazing once in a while you hear people just aggravated. Well, we've been here for 33 minutes. Yes, we've had all of our food, but our dessert is 16 seconds late or whatever the case is. Or we'll go to one of these, we've taken the kids out to one of these theme park things, you know, and, and you see these people, they, they do the gate opening thing and, and uh, you gotta go get lined up to get on some attraction or whatever, right? And people, right away, right away. They gotta get out of here. My wife and I call it the me first mentality. We call them me firsters. We just say it under our breath because we don't want to offend anybody, but we'll be just be walking along hand in hand. Me first, me first, me first, me first, me first, me first. Because that's how they are. They'll run you over. I got to see Mickey Mouse first. They'll kill you. Me first, me first. We're preferential and we have no patience. And it's dangerous because it gets built into us. It's an acceptable part of American society. It's not the fault of anybody if that kind of thing starts working you over and starts becoming part of who you are. But I'll tell you what, it's directly contrary to the word of God and it is not a godly behavior. Of course, we go further down into the book of Acts in Acts chapter two, verse 33 Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he shed, hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Okay, this is Peter now preaching, and he's talking about why you have been waiting here. What, what is happening at this moment is the Holy Ghost has been poured out. That explosive moment, that promise has finally come to fruition. All the impatience of the disciples, all of everything they asked Jesus constantly. Who's first in the kingdom? When does this happen? Tell us about the coming. All of this kind of stuff is now exploding in the book of Acts chapter 2. And Peter's preaching to the people surrounding them who are wondering, what in the devil is going on here? And he's trying to tell them, y'all heard about this. See, these Jews were around. And they, they traveled all over these areas where these people lived. And they knew and they understood because they heard the word. Jesus was masterful, by the way, at marketing and advertising. He'd go into a little community, boom, raise a dead person. You think that stayed in that little community? Mm-mm. No, word would spread, spread broad and wide. These people knew. They understood. And so now Peter's telling them, this is the promise of the Holy Ghost. And he says, which you now see and hear. If you acquire the Holy Ghost through an act of a mental condition called believing, why would there be anything that you see and hear if there wasn't an outward sacrificial expression coming from those disciples? If you skip on down to verse 39, excuse me, yeah, verse 39. He said, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So what happened between 33 and 39? The disciples were exploding. They took away their preferences. They took away their pride. And they were speaking in other languages that God had given them, pure languages that were designed to make it sure that was undefilable by man's own conscience, our own preferences. 
See, when you're speaking and you're praying in the spirit and you're worshiping God in the spirit, your preferences don't come into play. Your words, what's going on in your heart, what you're thinking, what you decide about things isn't happening. There is a pure language that God builds into us that that is completely undefilable by the human spirit. And they're standing there in this upper room and people, Jews from all over the world are listening to them and they're hearing their own languages. And they're saying to them, wait a minute, these guys are Galileans. They're dressed like Galileans. They look like Galileans. Amen, dressed like Galileans. And they knew who they were. That's not possible. The languages of the time were Greek and your own residential language. And they were speaking languages from worlds or areas all around the world, the known world at the time. And it was marvelous and it was amazing. And they were worshiping and they were praising God in languages they had no business knowing. Because the promise had arrived. The promise had arrived. They had been patient. They waited. They tarried. They prayed. I'm telling you, sometimes, folks, if you do not have the Holy Ghost, and you've come down to this altar at times and said, oh, I just, not for me. I'm struggling with this. I can't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know if I believe that this is it. I want to tell you that it takes some sacrifice. It takes removing your preferences. It takes forgetting about who's standing around you and what's going on in your world and stand there and say, God, I just simply want the truth truth from you. I want what you want. I want your preferences. Forget about what I think about the situation. I'm giving you myself wholly and completely to you 100%. And if you do that in your spirit, I guarantee you God will honor it and he will begin to fill you with his spirit. Amen. There are people that have not since the day they were reborn in God, prayed in the Spirit, have not fallen down here at this altar and bled and wept and prayed through. People say, well, I prayed through. I stepped up and I said a couple words. I felt God's warm and fuzzy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting down here. You've got strife, you've got issues, you've got challenges. Church has been changing, pastor changed, colors have changed, projectors have changed, life has changed, the president changed, things are going on, things are challenging at work. You've had all these preferences and you're dealing with it on your preferential basis. You're dealing with it in the flesh. You're dealing with it how your intellect is telling you to believe. And what I'm saying to you is what you gotta do is get to a place where you take all that stuff aside, cast your preferences aside and sacrifice yourself make a sacrifice of praise at this altar and just get a hold of God and pour it out before him and weep and cry and break and break that heart and break that spirit and pray before him and say, God, I just need an answer from you today. And let the Lord fill you one more time. If you've not been in that place for a long time, you're too regal, you're too austere, you're too a little bit too old, you're too young, you're too far out of the situation, you got too many sins on your mind. I don't care what the enemy has told you. Those are false preferential applications. Get rid of them today. Now is the day. Today is the time. You walk out of this building, you could get hit by something way bigger than you. And that's the last breath that you ever breathe. Why not take the opportunity? Take the opportunity and say, God, just give me what you got. I'm removing my preferences today. I'm gonna sacrifice before you today, God, because I want the promise. I want the promise, God. (laughs) 
Hebrews chapter 9 and 15 says it this way, and it takes it to that next step, that final promise. It says, and for this cause, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. What that simply means, folks, is that you are the called. The Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. You didn't choose God. It's not an accident that you're in this building today. It's not an accident that God called you into this life, into the apostolic movement. You're here for a purpose and for a reason. You are the called, and there's a promise of eternal salvation, eternal inheritance. 1 John 2 and 25 says it very simply this way, and it says, and this is the promise that he that hath promised us even eternal life. Come on, that's the next promise. That's the one. If you've been filled with his spirit, there's only one more promise you're waiting for. Yeah, he's, he promised you if you seek him first, all the other things you're desiring will be there. That's already in place. That's happening right now. You seek him first and God delivers. He, he heals you. He brings you blessing. He gives you that job, gets you into that house you like. He does wonderful things in your ministry. He brings family members that are lost. All that's going on right now. But there's one final promise yet to be had and we ain't there yet. It's coming. It's a couple weeks down the road. It might be a few more weeks down the road, a couple years down the road, but there's one more final promise yet to be had, and it's still going to come with sacrifice. We've got to remember that sacrifice does not stop. Last scripture, and I'm going to close. 2 Peter chapter 3, 9 through 14. Oh God, oh God, thank you for the promise. Thank you, God, for the promise that's yet to come. Some days, I don't know how many more days I can stand watching this world tear itself apart, how much I can see people twist a lie into truth and the truth into a lie. I can't even, I can't even come close to looking at anything related to politics now. This, it's so far gone. It's so perverted what they're doing out there. It's a complete mess. All we got to do is wait for this world to wreck enough people that they become desperate for some kind of truth, some kind of honor, some kind of purity, and they're going to get hungry for it folks and they're going to come knocking on that door and through our sacrifice and our preparation we're going to be able to welcome them in here and say come on down I can't hardly stand it anymore but there's a promise waiting for me 2 Peter 3 and 9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises he doesn't lie as some men count slackness but he's long suffering toward us he's patient with us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That most incredibly important sacrifice, it's the sacrifice the priest made the moment that he stepped into the holy place. He didn't go to the brazen laver. He didn't walk up to the candlesticks and start praying. That priest walked up to a sacrificial altar and he killed that animal and he made a sacrifice before God. And he didn't step one step further until that sacrifice was made. And when he did, he went to a brazen laver of water and he washed his robes clean. Folks, there's a brazen laver of water sitting right there and it's ready for the people who've laid down their lives in sacrifice before him. And you don't make it to that step until you've made this one. 
Verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Do you understand? He's equating the future promise. He's equating the repentance before the promise. He says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You can stand with me this morning. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Another sacrifice that we've got to make. Amazing that in the midst of this futuristic prophetic telling of the destruction of the earth, the second coming of God, he looks at the people and he says, but remember, you've got to be in all holy conversation and godliness. You know what that's talking about, folks? It's talking about stripping away your preferences. Your preferences don't matter to God. Come on now, you gotta preach with me. You gotta understand. You gotta start self-examining. You gotta get introspective about this. Is what's driving me in my walk with God preferential? Do I stay in bed on Sunday morning because I prefer to sleep in instead of being part of 10, 10, 10 or adult Sunday school? Is that just more convenient for me? Now is not the time to get a hold of your preferences. Verse 12, he says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Do you understand, folks? Anybody that's remaining here, that's gonna hurt. Summer months are coming right now. I, I hate trying to sleep in the summer without a little bit of air conditioning going on. That's my preference. That's my thing. But I'll tell you what, there's a heat, a fervent heat that's coming. And if you don't prefer the heat too well, you better get ready to be godly and get a hold of yourself and your sacrifices before God because it's going to get hot. Verse 13, he says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeking that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Why? What is that going to take? What does that mean, pastor? Without spot and without blameless. It means a process of removing your preferences and getting back to your sacrifices, sacrificing some of the things that are your preferences and your comforts and your quick answers and your quick satisfaction and quick gratification and waiting on the promise of God. That's what that means. The path to promise is paved with sacrifice. It leads first to the promise of the Holy Ghost and it concludes with eternal life. And if that's not worth it to you to set aside your preferences, if you don't care about all that, then you're talking to the wrong guy. But folks, I want to tell you, this altar is open this morning for some people who are ready to lay down a sacrifice before God. Just come down and say, Lord, take my preferences out of this situation. Take my sacrifice today, Lord. I pray, please, and hope, and hope, and hope that he accepts your sacrifice. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 
5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.